0: 28 years ago, on this date, 28 years ago, a 27-year-old young man stood in the pulpit of of this church for the first time as its pastor, and uh, we had a lot of years since then, a lot of building, a lot of things happened, we were in a little rented building, if you were to go on West Wheeling Street and see Nick's Pizza there on West Wheeling Street, and a little building in behind it between Nick's Pizza and Bob's Carpet and uh, that little building there the church was renting when I came and that's where we met (laughs) and a few of you that are in this room uh, were there on that Sunday and uh, 28 years has passed and the Lord's still good and his book's still true and thank God I love it good good stuff find Jeremiah and uh, chapter 6, I'm going to speak to you for a few minutes and then we'll be turning you, we'll begin in a passage in Jeremiah. So I turn you there first. Now I encourage you to take advantage of the entire day at Lighthouse Baptist. We have no leftover services here. The Sunday evening crowd will be well attended, as will Wednesday night. And uh, we have a men's prayer meeting at 545 in my office, there off of the foyer. Six o'clock evening service and uh, further instruction. If you've never been to one of our evening services, you want to be to one of them. Every service has a little bit of its own personality. Sometimes the evening service has a little excess of personality. It's it's kind of fun. We learn a lot together. But uh, I tell you what, it's, it's an honor to serve the Lord. It really is. That would have been, I was three years older than Luke is right now when I became the pastor of the church, hard to believe. And uh, so... You're 24, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it was uh, about a week later. I, of course, turned 28, so by then I was an elderly pastor. And uh, but it has been been a good, good growth together with it. Uh, I will talk to you this morning, and of course, uh, sometimes we just have out and out preaching. We had some fire in it on Wednesday and uh, Sunday night also, but. To this morning, not be dead or flat by any means, but I'm going to instruct you some and give you something to help you in just putting together the things you need in your day-by-day Christian life to help you go forward for the Lord and actually take the next steps you need to. And part of that is being very real about, the, uh, about what's involved in walking and living as a Christian. Very practical, real talk about that sort of thing. And this morning I've entitled this, Three Stages of a Real Christian Life. Three stages of a real Christian life. And uh, those three stages, I'll give them to you. And I'll make a few comments. I'll come back and deal with each of them. But the three stages are guilt, grace, and growth. Guilt, grace, and growth. Now that first one would be x off in some places because I say it's not a positive message. <clears throat> and, and without that, you, you cannot access the second one and you will not experience the third one. Guilt, grace, and growth they are all essential components. These are applicable in the day of our salvation. July 26th of 1980 was a good day in my life. That's when I accepted Christ as my Savior. I'm glad for that day. Very good day. Um, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm happy about what happened. I had no idea how far reaching that was going to be. But thank God for that day. And this was applicable. Guilt. I had to understand my position before God that I was guilty because of my sin. I had to admit that. See, I was a very self-righteous little guy. And, and, uh, you know, I lived cleaner than most of the guys I went to school with that attended church. So I figured I was okay. And didn't understand things about the Lord. And then grace. Thank God. The amazing grace of God that I've been learning about ever since. Preaching about ever since. And and trying to live in the fullness of ever since. That grace of God was, was there for me. And thank God, by faith, I had access into that grace wherein I now stand. And then growth would begin as I began to learn about the Lord and growing not only in the responsibilities what the Lord wanted me to do with my life, but uh, more emphatically to grow as a, as a Christian teenager and then as a Christian young man uh, and to uh, to grow and, and keep growing for the Lord. So in the day, day of your salvation, there's the guilt. In the day of salvation, there's the issue of grace. In the day of your salvation, is the beginning of your growth for the Lord. But let me say to you, it's also... Every day of your Christian walk after that also involves the proper dealing with guilt, the proper understanding of grace, and because of that, your capacity to grow as a Christian. God doesn't want you static. In fact, you aren't. You never are just steady. You're never just static. And science, I remember in biology, one of the early terms, they said homeostasis, steady state, where it's just the same. No, that's not how it works in, in, in your spirit. You grow or, or you go back. And so it's growth, the grace, and then the, the guilt, the growth and the grace all have to be there. And uh, uh, why? Because they're part of our following of Christ. Let me speak to you first about this issue of guilt. In the 1960s strongly and continuing up through the 80s, and it didn't disappear in the 80s, but it shifted partially because of those who have a certain social agenda and are social change agents. And, um, and they felt that, I believe they felt that they had reached a certain level in our society of what they had brought in through school system and such. But starting in the 60s and through the 80s, there was a lot of psychological propaganda put out focused on coping with guilt or freeing oneself from guilt. It was a big push. Uh, I shifted focus in the 90s, but it's still there, and there's still books about it and articles and such. But it was a really big push. Started out in the free love and the thing of the 60s that picked up so much speed and saying, you know, the problem's not that you're doing anything wrong, the problem is that you feel guilty. And if we can just free people from their feeling of guilt, then we can unleash the, the unlimited potential of mankind within him. And basically, it's New Age teaching. And that that was that was the psychological propaganda. That was that was what came along with the sociological reform and many of the things passed through in education under the guise of educational changes. And so as this came along, it was you need to be free from your guilt. Or you need to learn how to cope with guilt. And a lot of things that are used as as phrases came along with that. Um, it did not deal, however, with How to quit being guilty. The issue that was being pushed on was how to not feel guilty. It did not deal with the fact of guilt. And so it didn't deal with how to quit being guilty or how to deal with the fact of guilt in your past. Whereas somebody could reform. Jesus doesn't bring reformation, he brings salvation. And then transformation. Now, stay with me. It's easier for, for sometimes uh, Baptist people to stay awake if I'm preaching against the sin you think your neighbor's committing. But listen, uh, when I'm giving you truth that you can grow, that was funny, you can grin at that. Uh, when, <laughs> but if 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 I'm giving you solid things and I'm teaching you as your pastor, I'm teaching you what you're looking at going on around you and how it fits in with what God's doing with the Bible, you have to be very interested because it's important for you going forward in your life. And so the issue uh, the issue did not deal with how to deal with the fact of guilt or the fact of past guilt and the things that can dog people for years and years and years that keep weighing on them and sometimes and very tragically in people's lives and the different things that they engage in, even uh, even self-destructive behavior that comes from it. You know, it's amazing that the target was the emotion of guilt. It wasn't, it wasn't how to deal with the issue of guilt. It was how to deal with the emotion of guilt. That same teaching taught how to either deaden, how to short circuit, or how to bypass a very rightful and necessary emotion that God's given us, which is called guilt. Guilt and the capacity to feel guilty is a good thing. It is not something that is supposed to be pushed off to the side. Now, I've seen it where it's, uh, people have made it something very bad in their lives because they assume guilt for that for which they are not guilty. Sometimes people who are in an abusive situation, whether it be a child who has suffered abuse at the hands of someone who done wickedly to them, or if it be someone who's been abused by a, a, a someone that sh- they should have uh, received care from and love from, whether it be verbal abuse or uh, physical abuse or a combination thereof, the person uh, sometimes the person who is who has received the abuse will uh, automatically assume the role of guilt. They'll, I must have done this, and it's especially tragic when you see it in a child. And, uh, and, 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 and the, the wicked adult who perpetrated the, the action is not bothered by guilt at all. They'll justify themselves. They'll not deal with it. They'll live in this uh, illusionary world like they didn't ever do anything wrong. And yet the child keeps saying, What did I do wrong? And so I understand that the emotion of guilt, just like every other human emotion, can get corrupted and perverted. So you understand that going in. But the fact of it being there, having guilt, is an important thing. Because guilt is one of the warnings that God's built into us and given us to let us know when we're going on a path that's going to be destructive. If we would ever understand our Heavenly Father doesn't want us destroying ourselves. And so He has built some things into us that are alarm bells that are warning signals to keep us from going down the path that leads to destruction. Of course, He's given us those very clearly in His Word, but He's also built within us things which are supposed to respond to truth. Um, I told you about the the incident when uh, out at the fairground. Then the strangest year, not to be having the track attack at, uh, because the fair is not going on, the pumpkin show, and all that stuff. Uh, just just what a weird, weird year for for a lot of things we do around here. But. I remember there was a fight broke out over near the corner of High Street there and, uh, and uh, Fair Avenue. And, uh, to me, you know, you're so it. and that's a great opportunity. you got a crowd together. And so uh, I went in and, of course, had the blue jacket on and kind of zipped part way up. And I went in, hey, 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 now, back up. Okay, well, they're like this. And they say it's the cops, man. And that's what the couple said. I thought you were a cop. I said, no, nah, I'm something worse. I'm not legally bound enough to hurt you. Uh, but I, I came in, hey, enough of that. break it up. And everybody stepped back. And so when they did that, I started preaching to them. And uh, they they all listened for well, I had to heckler, but kinda of shut him down and then and then uh, they were listening, just gave simple gospel. This one girl left and she went past my wife, and here here was a statement. My wife said that was such a strange statement. She said, This girl came by with her head down, she says, Man, she goes, I feel like I've been to church, I feel so guilty. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't preaching to them forty-two ways which you can succeed. I was preaching to him the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And if someone doesn't know Christ, and someone is outside of the outside of the boundaries of living for the Lord, then guilt is a proper response. And yet, this this push in our society, which has not gone away, just other things have come along, built upon that foundation, and. Uh, but this thing of, of guilt is is a real thing that uh, people just try to get rid of guilt or they try to numb it or they try to blur it or they try to bury it or they try to hide it under a buzz from alcohol, under a trip from drugs, whether they be uh, prescribed or not prescribed and try to hide under it. They, they try to go into some kind of a haze where they don't have to face the reality and that is tragic Because while they're trying to hide from the emotion of guilt, they are not getting the real help with the fact of guilt, which then could take them to a place of being healthy and being right and being whole. So, guilt is a necessary thing. The capacity to sense guilt is essential to being able to live right. And by the way, in order to be healthy spiritually, emotionally, and mentally, we have to have the capacity to sense guilt and we have to know what to do with that guilt once we, once we realize it's there. So that foundation put in, let me give you some of the scripture here. I didn't just make that up. This isn't a psychological treatise I'm giving you here. I'm just giving you the outworking of it in society. I'm giving you truth from God's word. I'm laying the foundation for you how it works out and day by day living. And what many of you, whether you've dove into these subjects or not, it's stuff you've heard. You know, it's uh, uh, it's, 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 it's the, uh, uh, you know, no guilt, no shame type of thing. There are times when guilt and shame are appropriate. And there are times it's not. Do you realize, and we're going to go to Jeremiah here, as I told you to go to Jeremiah 6. I did tell you the chapter, didn't I? No, I didn't? Well, I have now. So there, you had something something special waiting for later in the message. Jeremiah 6... we had something happen the other day my wife was funny she goes man I wish we'd known that years ago I said I don't she goes why I said because think how happy you are right now we'd have missed this if we knew that years ago and she goes your mind is so strange and I said it's a happy little mind Um, one of the worst and most tragic time periods when the nation of Israel God's people were in the worst shape they got with God they went off into idolatry they were getting ready to be judged by Nebuchadnezzar, a very powerful, very evil king. He was going to come in. In fact, three different times he would come through, uh, through Jerusalem and through parts of Israel and take away captives in 605 and 596 and 582 or 586 BC, I forget which. He would come through and take the, and take away captives out of the nation. And they would go into 70 years of captivity under the Babylonian captives. Jeremiah was a preacher who stayed in the land and was there when they were taken captive. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. God used him to not only give us the words which we have in the book of Jeremiah, but also in the next book, the book of Lamentations. The word Lamentations means weeping or tears. There's an entire book in your Bible that deals with tears. And so he's the weeping prophet. The reason he was a weeping prophet was because he saw the judgment that came on God's people because God's people rejected God's word and God's way. And they instead adopted the ways of the heathen nation and world around them. And that led them to idolatry. And that led them to living in a way that was against the word of God. And that led to their judgment. He wept. He would say to them such things as, "Is it nothing to you, all ye who pass by?" He was a street preacher and be out there on the street, and they went on about their business careless of the judgment that was coming. He would weep when he told them about the good things that God wanted for him and what God wanted to do with them, but instead they threw away those, those possibilities and those promises by chasing after the things of idolatry in the world. And so uh, that was a terrible time in Israel's history. They were, they were scattered, as they have been more than once in history. And what's remarkable about Israel, uh, unique to it as a nation, of any other nation in the world, is the fact that they have been scattered among the nations and brought back together again. That does not happen in, in history, except unless you have God's people that God wanted to preserve a certain way. And so what happens with Israel, they, the worst times were the times when they were not able to do two things. They were not able to be ashamed and they were no longer able to blush. When's the last time you saw someone actually blush out in public? Now every week I see people f- doing things for which they ought to blush if they had any sense. But very rare to see it. By the way, in the New Testament, when it talks about a lady having shamefacedness is the term, that's the capacity to blush. It's a a beauty of modesty. It's a beauty of an innocence that God wants. And by the way, even if that innocence has been broken because of past decisions and, and things, choices in life, Christ can restore that beauty and can make that new again. And so uh, God, God wants that for his people. He wants that. that. He, doesn't, he doesn't want us to be childish, but he wants us to be childlike. That freshness, and innocence. He, you, know, you know how kids are with things and they look around. I've said before and I mean it. If you ever want to know how many really pretty rocks we have in this driveway, all you notice about was they mess your shoes up. Is that right? But if you want to know how many really pretty rocks we have out there, get one of these little ones about this big and, and go through there with them. You'll have a whole bunch. I used to always have rocks in the, uh, in the car. Why? Because that's a really pretty rock. And we need that rock, and we'll go with that. Hey, man. Hey, Andrew just shook his head. Some of you men looked at me like, yeah, that's silly. What are you talking about? How much money did you pay for that pretty rock you put on your wife's finger? You're still collecting pretty rocks. They just cost a lot more money now. But, they, but there's a fascination. I'll see a real little one. The babies will come in here and, and, uh, and, and they'll come in here, a lot of lights and stuff, and they'll do this number. I guess. <laughs> like some of you do in point two of A messages. <laughs> if people are looking for Jesus or praying. I can't tell what you're doing, but you're doing something out there. And what happens? God said, I want you to have that innocence in you. But in order to do that, we need to be able to be ashamed when we do something that's not right. And we need to be able to deal honestly with guilt. Look in Isaiah 6. Isaiah. Jeremiah. At least I was in the prophets this time. Amen. Jeremiah 6. And look, if you will, particularly, verse 15. And this verse is very representative of the heart of the nation of Israel at this tragic point in their history. He said, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Abomination is something that's filthy and disgusting in the eyes of God and should be in the eyes of men. Horrible conduct. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. They weren't ashamed of their behavior. They look right at you. Doing whatever amount of filth and sin and have no shame about it at all. Now we live in a day and time where people broadcast it all over. Put it out there. Put it out all over the place. Say, oh, look at this. Look what I did. And it's shameful conduct. Sinful conduct. And even some people who claim to be God's people do this. Or people like stuff that is shameful and abomination. You find someone indulging in sinful behavior wicked behavior and then say, oh, I like that. No, we have no right to like what God doesn't. And so we live in... It. It's amazing. It's quiet in this room. It speaks to what I'm telling you about today. The mindset of people have changed in a bad direction. Why? Because... There are things for which we ought to be ashamed. It's a good thing if we've done wrong to be able to say, I'm ashamed of myself for what I did. I'm ashamed of myself for my behavior. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. They become hardened to a point they couldn't blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall at the time that I visit them. They shall be cast down saith the Lord. And why was this going to happen? Do you know why this was going to happen? It was going to happen because they did not have a capacity. They had hardened themselves to they did not have a capacity to be ashamed or to blush. Guilt is an essential capacity. The capacity to sense guilt is essential for you being healthy. Spiritually, mentally, in every aspect, emotionally, You have to be able to deal with guilt in the reality of it. Not just make guilty feelings go away, but by dealing with what is actually wrong. Um, Jesus did this. He he was dealing with the woman at the well we know her as. Her name's not given. She was a lady of uh, Samaria. And, uh, and of course the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't spend time together. That was more on the Jewish side than the Samaritan side. And the Samaritans were people I'd mentioned when Nebuchadnezzar took over the nation Israel for a while... Uh, there were people who didn't get taken into Babylon. And some of them married, intermarried with the people of the land and such. And from those came what were known as the Samaritans. And those people were looked down on by those who were from uh, a pure Jewish ancestry. And they, were, they, were, they didn't want to talk to them or anything else with them. And Jesus was real thirsty. sitting by the well and the Samaritan woman comes up. And he said, give me water to drink. She said, you're a Jewish man. I'm a woman of Samaria. She said, the Jews don't even talk to the Samaritans. And you asked me to give you water? And he said, if you knew who it was that speaks unto you, you'd ask of him. And he'd have given you living water. He said, you'd ask me if you knew who I was. Which, by the way, he knew her heart. Isn't it amazing? He knew in there was somebody could be reached, didn't he? And you never can tell how rough someone may be on the outside what might be going on on the inside. And uh, I remember a guy gave a testimony when he got saved. He said, yeah. He said, I was a rough looking old thing. He said, I'd sit there and sit there my ponytail, break it down, milk my back. And he says, that was a bad looking dude. And he said, "Sit there on my porch." He said, "People from this one church would come by, and he said they'd come down, they'd talk to the people down here, and people down here." He said, "I'd just glare at them, and he said they'd bypass me and go to the people down here." He said, "Apparently, thinking maybe the Lord didn't want to talk to me." And he says, "I'd sitting there glaring at him." He said, "I was a mean-looking dude," and he says, "And in my heart, I'm thinking, I hope one he has guts enough to talk to me." And he said, when they first started talking, he's, "Ah, I'm not interested." He said, but that's not what was going on here. You know why he was, ah, that's I'm not interested? Because that's the only defense he knew. Then absolutely didn't know what to do with conviction, guilt, or even a uh, feeling of fear or loneliness, and his only reaction was, real man and do I'll tell you what, I ain't worried about that stuff. That's all that's all he had. That was the entire entire arsenal of what he had to deal with people. Somebody got to him with the gospel. If I remember the account right and I was listening to the guy give the testimony, if I remember Callac, right, some little old girl didn't have enough sense not to be scared by this grizzly bear. Maybe the Lord put her there because he wouldn't be as mean to her. You know? You can't tell. And if one of you goes out, gets bold witnessing, gets beat up by Hell's Angel's Day, it's not my fault. Just that disclaimer's been on there, okay. But Jesus dealt with the issue of guilt. That woman comes out and they get talking, and she said, Give me that water. I want that idea of living forever. Hey, that eternal, that sounds good. I want that. He said, go get, your, go get your husband. That's when she starts shucking and jiving. That's not in the Bible, but that's what she's doing. She says, I, 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 I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, You got that right. He said, You've had five husbands. And he said, "In the one you have right now, in other words, the one you're living with, isn't your husband. God has never recognized moving in together as legitimate. As soon as somebody knows that as truth, they need to do something about that. He said, and Jesus talking to her. He said, get away from me. I'm not going to talk to you. Watch what happens. He said, you've had five husbands. She'd been around Probably every new one along thought somehow he was different or better and he could tame her. <laughs> Surprise. Um, five. And he said, the one you have now isn't your husband. You know what she immediately does? She changes the subject to something religious. If you read it, she just she takes a turn trying to get away from that. And he just keeps dealing with her. What ends up happening? The end of the account is this. Not only... Does she believe on Christ? But she goes and gets most of the town and gets them to come out to hear Him. And an actual revival breaks out in that town because of this woman that probably wouldn't be welcome in a lot of churches. You know why? Because the Savior dealt with her guilt. And instead of hiding the guilt, instead of all that, you know what? It was dealt with. And when it was dealt with, then there could be a resolution of the guilt and there could be a freedom and there could be this lady who we know in the Bible. And the main thing you know about this woman, if you know the story at the woman at the well, is she brought the whole town out to meet Jesus. <laughs> wow. You mean God used use people like that? Yeah, he he even uses people like us. I mean, what God has to work with is a bunch of broken material that needs his grace. And so that was there. At one point when John the Baptist was baptizing, he baptized with the baptism of repentance. We baptize here. And uh, after someone accepts Christ, that's an outward sign of what's happening inside of them. It's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. After someone gets saved, the first spiritual work they're supposed to do is to get baptized. They're supposed to follow and, and by that show outwardly, yes, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. That's, that's a believer's baptism. That's a believer, That's a new believer. That's what they're supposed to do. When John the Baptist was baptizing, he was baptizing the baptism of repentance. The baptism of repentance, although it looked the same, he was taking them out of the water and back up. What that was about, according to the Scripture, was him getting the Jewish nation, those people of the Jewish nation, saying, we are willing to receive the Messiah when He comes and He's revealed. He had a group come to His baptism there were nothing, he called them snakes. John, he said, you vipers, serpents, <laughs> he, they're a bunch of snakes. They weren't coming down to learn anything. They didn't want to hear what God had to say through John. They were coming in to cause trouble. And he looked at him. he said, bring forth fruits meet for repentance. He said, what's that little phrase mean? That means, he says, why don't you come and get real and show that you actually want to get right? In other words, these people that I'm baptizing who are actually saying my heart's open towards the Lord as soon as he's revealed. I want to know who he is. He said those people are people who recognize their guilt. You say, how do you know that? Because it says they confessed their faults and sins when they were down there in Jordan. They went in admitting their need. You want to know the people in Israel who benefited from Jesus being there? It's the people who faced the reality of their guilt. Not people who tried to bypass it. You can find all kinds of touchy feeling. Uh, I feel good. Build up your positive mental a- attitude about yourself messages around this town. Well, a lot of them are meeting, but you can find them online. And uh, th- that, that type of thing. There's plenty of those churches around. But if you want somewhere where you can actually get well, then you need somewhere that deals with the issue of guilt. You need somewhere not only initially knowing that you need Christ as your Savior, but in your day-by-day walk when something is not in alignment with the Word of God, listen to me carefully, you need to be very uncomfortable in church at times. I'm looking at all of you. You understand this. Because I don't think you or this preacher, I don't think any of us walked in here today with everything together in our life like it ought to be. And no one wants me to walk off the platform and ask particular questions right now. And I don't want you up here asking me. So we'll call a truce on that. But we will recognize the fact there are times we just need to know we're making a wrong move. And we need to do something about it. If, if we're interested in actually being what we ought to be and being healthy in our heart, in our spirit, and our mind. If we want to just play games and delude ourselves, spiritually medicate and numb ourselves, and just go and mind yourself. But if you actually want to grow, the first step towards it is guilt. And so the scripture deals with this. Second thing, it said there's guilt as the initial thing, and then there's grace. Thank God. This issue of guilt would be unbearable without grace, it just would. It would just be unbearable if that's all we had. I still remember my Uncle Ed. To me, this is sad to me. And I talked to Uncle Ed about this soul again. And, and I talked to him the last time. We talked together. And uh, I remember we were working together one time. And he said something. And I quoted a verse to him. He didn't ask about something. I said, well, I said Uncle Ed, I said, the, uh, I said you know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I'll never forget we were we were actually in my Uncle Rose's house working on a little something. Time. He put the hammer down and looked at me. He goes, huh? I said, what? He goes, you mean there's more to that verse? I looked at him, I said, What do you mean? Right where we're standing. He said, I heard that. He says, Coming up there in Kentucky and we'd go up to meeting and such. He said, All I ever heard, and all that was ever said, was the wages of is death. He said, That's all that we ever heard. That's all that was ever said is the wages of sin is death. Well, we do need to hear that. Many people pass that by. But thank God it didn't stop at the wages of sin is death. But, but, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And without that, the wages of sin would be unbearable. But thank God for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't earn it You can't buy it. You can't be good enough for it. It's extended to us because of the goodness of God. It originates in the heart of God. It it shows the character of God. And it displays in living testimony the kindness of God. Thank God for the grace of God. I'm telling you. That's a wonderful thing. That is. And the Bible says we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. It is by faith in the Lord That we have access into that grace. There's this place called grace. It's eternal. It goes both directions. I don't have time to develop all this. It has everything that Christ has in this place called grace. And uh, before the foundation of the world. That those who are in grace. Will be thus and thus and thus. So how do you get in grace? You were just placed there. And you were born. You're going to be there or not? No. Not at all. That's a false teaching called Calvinism. What this, what this actually is, is by faith you have access into that grace. Once you're in God's grace, through faith in Christ, then everything that Christ is and has been from glory unto glory is yours. That's mine. We don't even have the capacity for, for, for processing that. But what a great thing it is. <laughs> I don't have to know everything about something that's good to know it's good. Amen. My wife got an exceptionally good watermelon this last week. And I like watermelon. I love watermelon. I told her, I said, I'm being nice to you. She said, what? I have said, I've sat down to eat that on that watermelon twice and there's still melon left. Usually melon can't stand two, two visits by me. Because the first one takes the first half, second one takes half. I eat half at a time. And uh, a watermelon won't make fat. You'll slosh like crazy, but you won't be fat. And uh, I, I said, I don't understand. I didn't analyze it. I didn't have to know anything about it. I don't even know what you have to do to have proper soil. For I don't care, really. I just I know a good melon when I got one. i tell you what, I, I do learn a lot about the Lord and I encourage study and learning about Him. You're supposed to to grow. But I want to tell you something. You also need to be able to just say, this is good. Thank God I'm glad. I'm glad for what God's given to me. What is this? Grace. You need to realize that our guilt and then we need to understand that Christ has paid for that guilt. The fact of the guilt not just the emotion of it. Do you know the fact of the guilt can be cared for? You can have trusted Christ and actually be free in the Lord's eyes and still have the emotion of guilt hanging around. A factual change does not necessarily mean the emotion will follow. It gives you the basis where it can, but it doesn't necessarily mean it will. Look with me quickly in Romans 3. Let me show you this. Romans chapter 3. Thank God for grace. Romans chapter 3 deals with this thing of grace and what it does as far as the fact of, our, fact of our sin. And I won't have time to expound all this, but look in verse 19. Romans 3 verse 19. It says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped... And that all the world may become guilty before God. In other words, God gave a perfect law and perfect example so that we would understand our guilt. Sort of like when something's out of square and you put a level on it or you put a plumb line to it or whatever you put on uh, to, to check it and, and see how it is. That's what the law does. It shows us where we're crooked. Verse 20 Therefore, by the deeds of the law there shall be no flesh there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. The word justifies the idea of being made perfectly right, just as if you'd never sinned before God. By the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You won't keep the law perfectly. Just start with the Ten Commandments and see how that goes. And the problem is, if you trust your keeping of God's law perfectly for your righteousness, if you think that's what's going to get you to heaven, then if you ever transgress at any point, you're doomed. It testifies against you. Verse 21, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. God showed how he gives us his righteousness, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto what's that next word, church? All, all. that's what it means. All that all means is all unto all and up on all them that believe, for there is no difference, no matter what your background is, where you're coming from. For how many all have sinned. See, so we started in that same place of actual, real guilt and come short of the glory of God. You may, people say this all the time, well, I'm, I'm as good as anybody else. Well, that's not a real good measurement when all have sinned. That's, that's, not, you know, that's, not, as, that's not as good. That's like, that's like being on death row and saying, well, I'm as innocent as anybody else here. And that's not good. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. I love that word propitiation. It's not used very often in the Bible, but it is the same word as, from which we get the word mercy seat. Jesus is the place where God met man's need in mercy. God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance, that's God's patience and, and mercy, of God. To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in, Jesus. In other words, keeps going back and talking about his righteousness. If your works, if my works are what we're trusting, we're trusting our righteousness. But he said, that's not it. It's his righteousness. And to get his righteousness, you've got to understand your guilt. Are you ready for something? I'm going to give you something here you latch on to. Because if you're trusting your own works and your own righteousness, you are not admitting your own guilt. It's a simple thought, but it's profound. If I'm trusting my own righteousness or my own works to get to heaven, then I am not admitting my guilt. Because if I really saw my guilt, I would not think for a moment that my righteousness could get me there. And instead, I come to a place where I understand it's Him. It is what He did. I can trust Christ. And you know what else that means? When I do trust Christ, guess what happened to the fact of my guilt? It's gone. I literally am a new creature in Christ. I get to start over again. September 14, 1964, my life began. Philip Wayne Manning was born in Ohio. And uh, I I was born in Dayton, Ohio. On September 14, 1964, July 26 of 1980, at the Northside Chapel, First Church of God in Camden, Ohio, I received Christ as my Savior. I was born again. There was a new me born. He gets some trouble from that old me that's still hanging around. But thank God it's a new. And it's different. And so thank God for that. So that's grace. What is it? You have to understand guilt. You've got to deal with it not only in the matter of salvation, but in your day by day. Hey, when you do something wrong. Hey, Christian. Hey, Christian. When you harbor hate in your heart, it's guilt. Hey, Christian. When you're dishonest in business, you're guilty. Hey, Christian. When you look at what you shouldn't look at. And you lust after something that you shouldn't lust after. It's called guilt. Hey, Christian, when you when you oh you say well, real Christian people don't do that. Oh, they can be real Christians and do that just like you can be a real Christian, be the Pharisee you're being. But I'm going to tell you something. hey, hey, Christian, hey, hey, when you when you are unkind, we can go down a whole list here, can't we? Are we getting the point? We've got to deal with the guilt of it. Quit making excuses. If I, as a believer, lied to somebody, I did not make a mistake. I stepped down here instead of here and dropped farther and I thought, that's a mistake. To my hurt and your amusement probably. But if I lied to somebody, that is not a mistake. That is sin. That is wrong. And if I will deal with it as guilt and deal with it God's way, I can not only deal with the fact of what I did, but the origination that that came from my heart and my heart needs work and that has revealed that to me and I can begin to get healthy because I've dealt with the reality of the situation. found out of a lady yesterday that had and nobody, nobody here would, uh, no, no, nobody we know personally, but being relayed what was happening. through she was actually talking about it. She had thought she'd had bronchitis for weeks, and what she had, she had, had cancer that had metastasized into the lung area. She had a very real situation that she wasn't dealing with, it what it was, it wasn't because she was being silly or not paying attention. Everything they thought was bronchitis and then it turned out to be something else. You know, every time you cough you're gonna worry now, but but she had a very real situation. That situation had to be dealt with for what it is. Do you understand that? There's a difference between oh I messed up and oh I did what I knew was wrong. And if you would deal with it for what it is, you can get whole. You can do right. And then the last one I gave you is growth. At its most basic level, growth is doing something with the grace which we've received. Most basic level, he said, well, preacher, what's growth? Doing something. Actually doing something with the grace we've received. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, the grace of God which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, for I labored more. He said, when the grace of God was given, he said, when I received Christ, he said, it wasn't in vain. I took what God gave me and did something with it. What are you doing with the grace that's been given to you? Don't put yourself again under bondage to sin. Sin is a chains, does this? That's what the addictions are, the different things that come with it. It's chains. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want his children under bondage. What are you going to do with what he gave you? Say, man, I'm free in Christ. Okay, what are you going to do with freedom? The Bible says by liberty, uh, love, serve one another with that liberty. What are you going to do with it? Growth is doing something with what we've been given and taking it and using it as we ought to. And Peter, the Bible says this. It says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You need to learn about this Bible. You need to find out what it teaches in the day-by-day living. That's why it's important for you to be in the Lord's house. You know, you get hours and hours and hours of stuff pushing in on you from the world and, and philosophies. And, and some of you make choices in music that teach you a diametrically opposite way of the scripture. You, you have influences and people and things coming at you. You need, to, you need to be in God's house and learn the word of God. You need to be in it yourself and start learning it. You need to desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? That you may grow thereby. You know, you worry about a, a newborn baby if they're not hungry. You worry sometimes, you know kids will go through growth spurts and they'll be eating okay and then they'll be eating everything and eating and eating and eating. And then that'll shut off for a little while. Only it's just a pause. Once they get to certain years, it doesn't shut off anymore and it's more expensive. Um, why is that? As, as their growth goes, their their appetite's there. And you worry about them. Oh, they're not very hungry. Or they're not eating right. You want to know that they are. It's the same way in our spiritual life. And then the Bible says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge requires facts. Knowledge requires context of those facts. And it requires application. Three things you need to grow. If you're a safe person sitting here, you, gotta, you need three things in your daily walk. You've got to deal with guilt the right way. Don't accept guilt that's not real. But own and face guilt that is real you need to be able to deal with it you need to be able to sense it and know it's there then you need grace honestly know you can get things right now people may not extend to you grace there are people you've done them wrong once you're going to hear about it forever and forever and forever and anybody that can tell about it you're going to hear about it forever okay you say what can I do about that are you ready for a word of word of hope this morning not a cotton picking thing there you go. And I'd encourage your heart right there. But I, again, I'm, I deal with reality. Sorry, you want fluff and stuff, go somewhere else. That's not what I do. i tell you the truth. And it's not a big thing you can do about some of that stuff. But then you're going to have to deal with reality. For the one to whom it matters, He knows your heart and knows whether or not you're real with Him. And in the midst of all your struggles and what's going on, He knows whether you're being honest. When you're being honest, you're going to find out that for every step you take towards Him, He's taking a step towards you. Because God initiated this thing. See, the fact that we love God is because He first loved us. He's the initiator of that which is good. And we respond to it or we reject it. But He initiates it. And I can assure you, when you want to do these things right, God's going to be there to help you every step of the way. Let me pray with you this morning. All right, Father, thank You for Your people and their good attention this morning. Lord, may give it a lot. May we use it. Lord, I pray that... Uh, I've spoken in the ears of someone who doesn't belong to you this morning, they're not a Christian. May they understand the guilt of their sin may it be real to them. May there be Holy Ghost conviction for them. For any of your people that have their pet sin, that little thing that they excuse, that they justify with their words or actions, that they find other nominal Christians who say it's okay to do that. God may they please open their heart to what Guilt and shame should be there. May they deal with you about it. Then I ask you also for those who have had guilt on them that's been put there unjustly. May they learn to discern the difference. Bless your people. May they grow because of what you have in your word. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Something you want to bring before the Lord this morning. Why don't you? During an invitation. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, we've got any number of people in this room can open the Bible and show you how you can know from the Scripture. One day you have a home in heaven and that you have the presence of Christ here in this life. Why don't you come as the first note of invitation begins. Christian, are you willing to deal with guilt as a fact?